This is the I Work For Him podcast. To make sure you never miss a thing from I Work For Him, subscribe to our email list. Just head to our website at iworkforhim.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, click subscribe, and sign up. We'll send the very latest blogs and podcasts from I Work For Him so you never miss a beat. That's iworkforhim.com. This is producer Michael Marigle. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get to today's program. You tune into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today. I just want to challenge you. As you listen to I Work For Him today, let's just remind ourselves why I Work For Him is on the air. You and I go to church on Sundays. Well, most of us go to church on Sundays, and we hear a sermon, and we walk out of the sermon, we go like, but, okay, but, but wait a minute. I, I'm not going to be in ministry all week, but wait a minute. Where am I going to be in ministry all week? I Work For Him is here to help you connect what you hear on Sunday with what you do in your nine to five to recognize that your workplace is your mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet that the job that you hold, the place that you work, none of it's by chance. The people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus and you may be their only chance So often we get so caught up in the craziness, the hecticness of work that we forget that we're on a mission. We're on a mission from God to our workplaces, that it's a high calling, that everyone around us that's not a Christ follower is in a desperate search for meaning. And we know the answer to their question. It's Jesus. But when was the last time you stopped and looked around you? looked around in, in, in amazement of the incredibleness of God. When was the last time you took a few minutes to focus on how awesome that God is? Maybe even to sing that song, our God is an awesome God. How the details of our world, each and every day, they display his glory. When was the last time you allowed the awesomeness of God to impact your work? Today, We're talking with author Paul David Tripp about his brand new book that's out this year called Awe. Paul David Tripp, welcome to I Work For Him. It's good to be with you. I'm thrilled to have you here. And I got to tell you, I've been a longtime fan of yours, and so it's awesome to have you talking about your brand new book, Awe. But I got to tell you, if you're wondering who's personally responsible for selling at least 50 or 60 copies of your book, Age of Opportunity, it's me. (laughs) Because I taught that to a small group about a decade ago, and we tell people it is the most powerful book we've ever read. My wife and I do a lot of marriage mentoring. It's the most powerful book we've ever read on raising children and especially getting through those teen years. I got to tell you, it was a home run. We tell people about it all the time. In fact, today we told two people over lunch. I just want to thank you for being just being faithful to the Lord and speaking the words from his heart because that book ministers to people who are struggling with raising kids. Thanks. You know, okay, so we're here to talk about your brand new book, Awe, and I wanted to just, you know, as I did the intro today, I, we're, we're focusing on just one chapter of this incredible book that you wrote on awe, being, being awed about our Heavenly Father. But we're talking about chapter 13, which I thought was a great chapter. You know, nobody writes chapter 13, nobody writes to the 13th floor of a building. You know, 13 is supposed to be this unlucky number, yet I thought it fascinating that chapter 13 was the book on work. How does... Based on what you've heard about I Work For Him at the beginning, how does that message resonate with you? How does I Work For Him resonate with you and coincide with that chapter that you wrote in your book? Well, I, th- I think you have to get, get back to the 
the, the big picture of the book, and it's about this thing called awe, that, that we were hardwired by the Creator for awe. That, that, that means three things. One, everybody, every human being has the capacity for wonder. That's why we like the triple overtime NBA game or the seven-layer moose cake or the dramatic movie. We, we are oriented to wonderful things. And this means a second thing. It means that, that all of us have this, our, a desire to attach ourselves to something glorious, something big, something transcendent. And then a third thing, we... We all have the need to have something big in our lives that get us up in the morning, that that gives us a reason for doing the stuff that we do. So you could you could argue that every human being lives in search of awe. That that every human being is motivated by awe. That every human being. Uh, attaches the capacity of awe to something. I, I love that because we know that our our friends, our neighbors, our companions, the people we go to that we hang out with that aren't Christ followers yet, we know that they are in search. That we know that they're in a desperate search for meaning in life, and and it is true because once you meet Jesus, it stops you in your tracks because yeah, all of a sudden you're. you're Go ahead. And I think what's important to, to recognize is what we're talking about right now is not first something that's spiritual. What we're talking about is something that's human. God has God has hardwired uh, the capacity for all and the desire for all into every human being who ever lived. Now the reason for that is that capacity of all is meant to drive us to God. Because uh, my my heart will only ever be satisfied when it finds its satisfaction in the awe of God. Wow, I love that. Our capacity for awe drives us to God. Okay, so was there an incident in your life, or was there some—what prompted you to spend the time? Because I know that writing a book is an incredibly arduous task, and, and because it's so time-consuming, and you want to get the words just right, and, and your books are powerful— what prompted you to take and focus on this three-letter word, awe? What, what started this project for you? Well, I, I, I think I just began to reflect on my own life. I think that there's a way in which I've never written a book because I'm an expert. I write books out of my own struggle. And I, I recognize that this side of eternity, uh, life is just big one war of awe that there's a battle between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our home going for what will, what the awe of what will capture our hearts. In fact, you could say this even for people who don't know, Lord, there's a, there's a war for, for what, what awesome thing will capture hearts. Now here's, here's why it is a war. Because whatever captures your heart, wherever Whatever awesome thing you connect your heart to will control your choices, your decisions, your words, and behavior. So you could, you could argue 
that there's no more principle human motivation than what we're now talking about. Every human being is motivated by awe. There's a, there's a way in which you could examine the life of any single human being. And if you examined the, the way they make decisions, the way they relate to people, the things they do and say, at the bottom of that, you would find where they've placed their all. Hmm. And have you seen people... I mean, obviously, you've been watching people for a very long time to be able to capture that, because what you just described for me and for all of those listening today is exactly what we've experienced. We've we've all been on that search. We've all dealt with that craving. We've all dealt with that emptiness that we try to fill with a whole bunch of other things that always leaves us empty. I, I mean, I'm amazed that how you were able to put it into words, and I, well, I, I loved yeah, I, I think I think it it's a conversation that I'm surprised we we just don't have more it, because it's so fundamental to understanding a who you are as human being, uh, b why you do the things you do, and c how all of that is only settled in relationship with the Lord. Let, let, let me say it this way. What Scripture would, des- would describe, and you have this in, in a couple of very profound passages of Scripture, what Scripture would describe is that there, there are only two categories of awesome things. It's, it's created awe and creator awe. That's it. You only have two categories. Uh, Romans 1 says that we tend to exchange worship and service for the Creator for worship and service of the creation. There it is. There it is in just a phrase. So, so my capacity for all is either captured by creation, and, and so my, I'm offering my motivation and my satisfaction to something in creation, or my capacity for all has been captured by the Creator. Now, here's what's important to understand. We do live in an awesome world. God has just loaded this world with awesome, mind-blowing things. But every awesome, created thing was not meant to be a stopping point, but a finger that points us to the God who is behind all of that. Because the awesome things in creation have no capacity whatsoever to satisfy your heart any more than the sign that points to Disney World will give you a good vacation. You can't <laughs> have a good vacation. You don't have a, can't have a good vacation at the sign because the sign is not the thing. The sign points you to the thing. That's what creation is meant to do. Mm. I love that message. So as we take a turn then in that conversation and start applying awe to our work, because as we talk on the show every day about tr- just trying to help our Christ followers that are they're listening to understand that their work was created by God to be used by God, that he has created some to be insurance agents and some to be plumbers and some to be electricians, some to be used car salesmen, some to be attorneys, some to be teachers, some to be authors, 
whatever the job may be that we've been created on purpose, with a purpose, to bring glory to God and to take what we're learning on Sundays and apply it into our workplace and to bring that love into the workplace, into a place where people, they go to work every day, but they're not likely to go to church. But this, but a lot of times, as you just said, when God created work, a lot of us get captured by the awe of work and miss the option to get, uh, to have awe of, the God, of God who created our work. Sure, because because think of this: work, work can offer you power. Work can offer you some control. Work can offer you some success. Work can offer you some money, and so it's it's quite tempting to ask work to do for you what work was never intended to do. And when when you you do that, it's it's very hard then for work not to become more dominant in your life than it was meant to be. But what 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 is it about work that causes to, causes us to thirst for it in a way that I mean so many of us are caught up in our work and we will pursue it at the cost of almost everything in our lives that is so important to us. What is it about work that that has that capture on us? I think the I think the answer is identity. I think one of the one of the things that that every human being is in search of is identity, and there's a connection between awe and identity. Think about this: we actually identify people by their work. He's a lawyer. He's a mailman. He's a plumber. He's a chef. Now think about that for a minute. That's not who that person is, because I I work as a lawyer, you could argue that the sum definition of the value of my life is that title. Because I'm a lawyer, but I'm a child of God. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a neighbor. I'm a friend. I'm a father. I'm a spiritual being. But, but there's something about work that, that gives us a, a uh, concrete identity that becomes very addictive and very effective. And it's that pursuit of identity. And, and we've talked about identity on this show. There's a, I've got a favorite ministry here locally that actually is reaching out nationally called identityanddestiny.com that helps Christ followers just understand who did God create them to be? What did he create them to be doing? I, I love that ministry. But it is because people are they're obsessed with who am I? Why am I here? And that's really, that's part of that in search of awe that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, that it's supposed to draw us to God, but a lot of times we get stuck when we find an identity in our work. You, you well, mentioned... Think, 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 about, think about this for a minute. Your, your work is not actually designed to give you identity. God is meant to give you identity. But, and... and Think about how, how both addictive and discouraging that will be. Let's take the, the addictive thing. If, if I'm looking for identity in work, and I'm, I'm achieving a lot of success, and I'm getting a lot of kudos from my, my boss, that's, that's very motivating. And I'm going to want more of that. Or, or if I'm not experiencing all of that, then 
then my work life is discouraging and it's a bit of a drudgery. But here's the point. Because that identity that my gross boss has given me and that's, that success that I'm experiencing can't satisfy the heart, it's got a short self-life, shelf-life. The buzz doesn't last for long. And so I need more, and I always need more, and nothing is not of less. But, for example, why do you have a 45-year-old boxer still going into the ring? <laughs> Who knows? He's lost it because right? what, what he gets out of that doesn't last. He's got to get in there again because the buzz is so short-lived. It's only God who has the ability to give lasting contentment and satisfaction to my heart. And I think that's the, that is probably the one thing in my life that I finally understood when I went through Crown Ministries in the late 90s was that, that I have learned to be content, but that, God, that was God's intent for me, not to get my identity from my work, but to be content exactly where I was. And Because so often I find myself after three or four years, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of ready for a change. I, I I got tired with my job. I was looking for some more excitement, and I and I wasn't content with what I was doing, even though it was a great ministry, the work that I was that's, doing as an insurance agent. Sure, and that's why it's so important to hold on to the fact that every created thing was not made to satisfy your heart. Every created thing was meant to point you to the place where your heart would be satisfied. Here's my easy way of talking about that. Earth will never be your savior. I thought you had more. Okay. Uh, no, no, it's true. But how many people do we hear today on the news all the time? We talk, I mean, you find that people get fanatical about a piece of the creation, whatever it may be, whether it's space, whether it's a planet, whether it's our planet, whether it's the fish in the planet, whether it's the water, it's the trees, it's the owls, it's the bees, whatever it may be. People get obsessed with it because they, they think, well, that's, they're, they're going to save it. It will save them. They, they become one with nature, yet it leaves them empty because these people get, they're angry. They're, it leaves them empty. They're, they're angry as they pursue sure. this. Angry, disappointed, discouraged, depressed, uh, bitter, envious. Look, the harvest of asking creation to do what only creation, the creator can do, is not good. And, and so... Uh, what every sinful human being does, every sinner, and that's all of us, this is every human being, we all do this somehow, some way. We ask created things to give us what only the Creator can give us. We stop with awesome created thing, created things when they're meant to point us to the Creator. And if you do that for, in your work life, it will either make you addicted or depressed. Well, and we all know this, that awesomeness that you're talking about when we, when we get, when we become in awe of a created thing, we've all had that mountain, not everybody, I suppose, but many of us have had that mountaintop experience where we climb to the top of a mountain and we sit down and we look out over the valleys and see the other mountaintops of the future and, and the quietness and the amazingness of it. And that is where I find, as a Christ follower, some of my best time when I'm away from the craziness or sitting on a beach on a quiet day. or But hardly do we ever celebrate what the Lord is doing and what the Lord has done when we're driving on a highway surrounded by another million people driving on that same highway. But the created things, we, they, they tend to make us pause 
And it's in that moment that we'd love, we'd love to see that help people turn and say, hmm, this didn't just happen by itself. But that's what the progressive, that's what just, I mean, people have been forever telling us that this stuff all just happened by chance because they don't want to recognize that the created things were created by God. So listen, here's what, here's what I would like to do sometime while we're still talking. All right. Uh, I would like to teach the people who are listening how to make that mountaintop experience a regular daily experience. So I start every day fighting for the awe of God, recapturing my heart for the awe of God, rather than hoping that somehow I'll have this mountaintop experience because we don't get those regularly. How do we make this thing uh, a real, regular, life-motivating, heart-shaping thing in our lives? When we come That's back, a big I, question. That is a good, and when we, we'll deal with that after the bottom of the half hour. I want to just, because as, as you talked about identity, a lot of times as people are seeking their identity, they're trying to understand what is, you know, was I designed for something specifically created, as I mentioned earlier, my destiny? Is there a call on my life? That You mentioned in your book that there's three distinct dimensions of our calling of our lives. You, you talked about they were called to relationships, we're called to work, and we're called to God. You know, the, the whole love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that, 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 that really describes those things. Really quick, and we'll, we'll deal with this when we come back, but how did that, that how, what is significant about the fact that we've got three distinct callings that are really part of one calling on our lives? Well, well, here's what's important about that is you only have a limited amount of time. And, and so uh, if, if one area dominates your life, by the very nature of that, it's got to take away from other areas of your life. We don't, we don't live by a list. It's not how we live. I think of, I think of relationships with people... The call to work and relationship with God is three sort of intersecting bubbles in my life. If one bubble grows, it has to make another bubble smaller. Paul, you said a little right before the bottom of the half hour, you're like, let's, before we're done with the show, let's teach people how to take that mountaintop experience, that amazing experience they have with God where they're seeing the creation in a quiet place where they can actually see amazing things, be able to take that and experience that every day. Before we get back into our conversation, I really want to give you a chance to talk about that. So, so I, want to give, I want to give the listeners four things to do every day. It won't take a lot of time, but it can change your life. First thing, start every day. I'll give you four words here. The first word is gaze. Gaze. Start every word every day, by gazing upon the awesome glory of God. You say, Paul, I don't know how to do that. Well, here's some ways. Uh, Read Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is an amazing rift on the glory of God, where the language is just stretched as far as it can go to describe His glory. Or the last few chapters of Job, where God has that conversation and reveals His glory to Job. Start every day. Whatever else you're doing in your Bible reading, personal devotions, but just taking a moment to gaze on the glory, awesome glory of the Lord. Second thing is remember. Remember that that awesome glory 
doesn't just tell you who God is. It re- redefines who you are as his creature. It tells you what is meant to motivate you, what is meant to satisfy you. Remember who you are. Third word, rest. Now rest, not because your life is easy, not because your job is successful, not because people like you, not because your body is healthy, but because God is, he's awesomely glorious, and he's connected you to his glory by grace. Third word, fourth word is act. Now go live on that basis. With a heart satisfied, a heart that's remembered, a heart that's full, now take that to the place where you work. Gaze, remember, rest, and act. You do that every day, and you will find greater success in fighting the war of awe that greets all of us every day. And as we go to work, as you described, and you were describing right before we had to take our break, that you know we've got these distinct yet interconnected calls in our life, a, a call to relationship and a call to work and a call to, uh, to God, a relationship with God. And, and, and you started to say that when one of those starts taking up more than its allotted space, it starts to creep or to push out uh, those other relationships or those other things that are uh, that are supposed to be in a proper order. And I want to remind people, you can get a copy of the book, Awe, that we're talking about today, 877-943-9673. This book will cause you to just stop and think about something that every one of us should stop and think about, but we're too busy to think about. Get a copy of Awe by, by Paul David Tripp, 877-943-9673. Go ahead, Paul. Well, I was going to say, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. We know that when, when God calls me to one thing, that call won't mean I have to disobey him in another area. He would never do that to me. So if, if work is causing me not to invest in my spiritual life and spiritual community the way I should or invest in my family, I should in the way that I should. That's not about the call of God. That's an immediate red flag. That's a siren that's telling me there's something I'm wanting out of work that I wasn't supposed to get. And because I want that thing, work has become more dominant in my life than, I, than it actually is. And, and here's, I think, something really important. It means that now work is more about me and what I'm seeking and what I want than about God and what he wants to do through me in the workplace. Well, and so many, honestly, I got to tell you, I was there. I've been there. I've had days like that. I've had years like that. And it was the first thing that helped start to shift that paradigm in my own life, Paul, is when, when somebody told me that my work was my ministry. That I, that I actually was called to that ministry, that, it, that I didn't have to be a pastor to be in the ministry. And it wasn't until somebody told me that, that I started to, to recognize, wow, okay, now that means everything I do, the excellence that I display, it is all, God's got a purpose in what I'm, what I'm dealing with here on a daily basis. And that started to really impact me. Do you see that on other people? Sure. And, and, and here's what we're talking about, about 
hardwiring that God has put inside of me, my capacity for awe, should immediately alert me that I was meant to live for something bigger than me. And that's in every dimension of my life. So work, my motivation at work, must be something bigger than my power, my control, my success, my money, my possessions, my acclaim, all those personal things. Because I have the capacity of all to drive me to God because every human being was meant to live for something bigger than themselves. So do you think that's what drives the commonality? Because everybody talks about like, I just want to, you know, especially, you know, the millennials are now known for that, that statement more than anything. I just want to do something bigger than myself. I want to be involved in something significant. I mean, it is, they have seen the emptiness that the, certainly I'm talking just about Americans at this point in time, but they've seen the emptiness that the American dream brings. They've seen it broken households. They've seen fathers that never are home because they're working all the time or mothers, the same thing. They, they want to live for something bigger than themselves, you hear it as a common, it's almost like a clarion call to the millennials. But you, but you hear it. We've heard it for years. We just don't recognize it. Think about this. If you're in a city and your NFL team is in the playoffs, what do people say? We're in the playoffs. They're not in the playoffs. But you've connected yourself to something that's big and exciting because that's fulfilling. It, it exists at, at the most mundane of levels, that we're, we're searching for something that, that makes us enthusiastic and motivated and, and gives us identity. And so we, we're always in search for those things. I think what's happened is the, the millennial generation is just being much more vocal about a motivation that's inside of all of us. Well, you look at our, our, you know, the generation of the of the '60s. They're something bigger than themselves. Get to the moon, you know, and, and and they accomplished it. And then we talked about there's so many different things that generations have identified with. We've all identified with sports people. There's no question about that. Some of us have identified with famous radio personalities. You know, there, there's guys that are like, boy, if I could just do it like that guy, that would be phenomenal. You know, you probably have authors. You're like, boy, if I could just write like that person. I read the other day that Max Lucado sold 100 million books already. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. But so when you, when you look at those things, how that, but that pursuit of achievement and success often clouds our perspective on where we should be in pursuing the awe of God. Listen, if, if you're serving the God of success or the God of identity or the God of power, at street level, no matter what your theology is, you're not serving God. It's the bottom line. And, and so let's take example of the workplace. Because, because I'm driven for success, I'm going to be tempted to treat people in ways they should not be treated as they're just, they're just sort of things in the way of my success. I'm going, to, I'm going to not be looking for opportunities to speak into somebody's life when, when God has exposed me to me. Uh, I'm not thinking about how, how my, my behavior is, is meant to make the truth of Jesus Christ attractive. Peter talks about working in such a way that makes the gospel attractive. I mean, so uh, if, I'm, if 
work is where I look to satisfy the capacity of all. There's all kinds of things that end up not being what God meant for them to be in my work life. Okay, so we, we've we've identified a lot of the problem, and everybody listening has at one point in time in their lives or another really struggled with this. And people may be listening right now, they're like, I'm struggling with this right now, because I, you know, there is, I don't know about you, Paul, I'll speak for myself, I have been driven to work 80-hour weeks, I have been driven to meet sales goals, I have been driven to start businesses from scratch. There is a real passion, but I was reminded this morning of my own it, it, even to, to to grow this radio show so we can help people understand their calling. But it, I was reminded this morning in my devotions, the minute I woke up this morning, the Lord just said, listen, but your life is centered on the radio show, not on me. You've got to refocus the center of your attention. It's about me. It's not about whatever that is in our lives that we're pursuing. How do we start to generate, a to, to live a life that is focused on awe every day? So, uh, I, uh, here's what I would say. First, examine the evidence. What, what's the evidence of what really cranks you? What really motivates you? That evidence is in your schedule. That evidence is in your emotional life, because the closer you get to what, what captured you all, the happier you are, the further away, the more disappointed you are. Look at the evidence. Second thing, confess the struggle. Confess the places where you have replaced the creator with the created thing. And and you don't have to be worried about making that confession because every every sin and failure of your life has been fully covered by the blood of Jesus. We should be able to be the most honest community on earth. Examine, confess, and then be willing to make changes changes in your life. Uh, maybe that's uh, instead of if, if God owns my workplace, how about instead of eating alone because I just want a break, I'm going to go to the work cafeteria and eat amongst my fellow workers. Who knows what kind of conversation God would open up that could radically change the life of, of one person. So, so you've got to get concrete. Concrete evidence, concrete confession, concrete changes. And know that when you make those steps, God empowers those steps by his grace. Because he'll never call you to a task without enabling you to do it. And he will never send you without going with you. Well, and it is, I love the way you did, but I'm saying... I don't know that a lot of Christ followers could do those things, examine the evidence of, their, of your motivation and confess their struggle and be willing to make changes, unless there's some accountability in there. Because a lot of us can't see the forest for the trees in our own lives. We need somebody else to do the smacking with the two-by-four. Okay, I would, add, I would add a third element. I absolutely agree with that. That The problem with that I struggle with is spiritual blindness, sin blinds. I can see the sin of other people. I can be surprised mine is pointed out. So you need to have somebody in your life who knows you, who can, who can help you to see yourself with accuracy. I think there are, there are scriptures in the New Testament that, that really do point to the fact that personal spiritual insight is the result of community. I need, I need help. Uh, 
So I would, I would surely add that, that as you're trying to examine the evidence, as you're wondering what is it that I need to confess and where the changes take in my life, seek help. That's why God has designed the body of Christ. Right before the break, Paul, we were talking about the fact that we really need help. And accountability is something we talk about on this show all the time, because as Christ followers, no matter where you are in your faith, there's always somebody a little deeper out there in your faith that can help you hold you accountable. In your own life, Paul, as you have, have there ever been times in your life where you've struggled with the awe of God? Well, I would, I would say it's, it's always a struggle. I mean, I'm, I, I, I love creation. I, I, I love good music. I, I love success, and, and so I'm always having to ask the question, do those things mean more to me than they should mean? I, I, I want to mention real quickly three, three things that I think I need help to remember that, that really relate to work. Here's the first thing. I need to remember that the gifts I employ at work come from the Lord. They're not my gifts. They're God's gifts. Secondly, I need to remember that the time that I invest in work belongs to the Lord. It's not my time. It's his time. And then the third thing I remember is at work, I've been called to work for the Lord, not just for myself. The gifts come from the Lord. The time belongs to the Lord. And at work, I'm meant to work for the Lord. And those are phenomenal reminders that the gifts we've been given are from God, that our time at work belongs to the Lord, and that at, when we're at work, that we are called, Colossians 3.23, called to work for the Lord. When I was asking that question, have you ever struggled with this? You said you struggle with it all the time. Do you have an accountability person in your life that uses the proverbial two-by-four to help remind you and keep you on track? Sure. I, here's, here's why. I don't think that anybody this side of eternity is a grace graduate. Uh, as, as long as <laughs> sin still lives inside of me, I need the rescue of God's grace. And so I need people to help me see myself with accuracy. Because you can't confess what you don't grieve, and you can't grieve what you don't see, and you can't repent of what you haven't confessed. And so I'm always seeking that on my life. I'm always asking particular people in my life to pastor me. Several months ago, I had a very difficult conversation with somebody because they confronted me on some things. And I wanted to defend myself, but they were absolutely right. Uh, and I'm very thankful for those, those relationships because I need them in my life. Yeah, and, and it is so true. So if you're out there listening to this today and you're like me and you're like, well, hey, I need an accountability person, this is something to seek because if you, as Paul just said, we need to seek help to see ourselves with the truth, that we can see ourselves clearly. We need other people to help us see those things. As you finished up writing this book and you, and you, and you put your pen down and you said, Lord, this is, I, I feel like this is done how, what did the Lord say to you when you're like, okay, Paul, this is done, but yet it's not done. I still need you to focus on this. What, what did the Lord say to you about what this book is going to be used to do? Well, I, I think a couple of things. First of all, I think the thing gave it very clear to me that the, the call of writing this book was first for me. God meant mm. for me to be the first audience. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for the time and energy to do this 
study because it's really helped me. But I think the other thing is I, I do think this needs to be more in the conversation, and it's just not. Uh, because if you don't get at the core of what's motivating your heart, all the course corrections that you try to make along the way won't work. You've got to get at the bottom line. What has captured my all? Because what captures your all will rule your heart, and what rules your heart will control the decisions you make in life. Mm. Paul David Tripp, thank you so much for sharing your book all with us, for sharing your heart with us today. This has really been a fascinating conversation. I, I appreciate you, and thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. If you want to get a copy of Awe, make sure you check it out online. You can get it in lots of different places, but Awe, A-W-E, is the name of the book by Paul David Tripp. I'd like to thank Luis for calling in from Tampa for winning the book today. You know, as you just take a moment and step back, when was the last time you just took a moment to concentrate on the awe of God? How many of you are like me, struggling with worshiping the created instead of the creator? How many of you have work and an improper balance in your life where work takes up your time and steals time from your relationship with people and with God? I, I struggle with that every day. Get a copy of this book, take some quiet time, and really focus on this. This is a powerful concept. You've been listening to I Work For Him, and I'm your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately, I work for him.